very much. If you're in Genesis chapter 40, say amen. All right. Hold on just a second. Amen. <laughs> I'm there that one day a mom was cleaning house when she heard her seven-year-old son screaming. And so she rushed down the hall and into the bedroom. And as she walked in, she saw her two-year-old daughter had a handful of her brother's hair and was just pulling it for, for uh, what it's worth. I mean, she was just grabbing and pulling. And so mom walked over and gently removed her hands uh, from her brother's head and looked at him and said, it's okay. She, she didn't know it hurt. And with that, mom left the room and started back down the hall. And she got about halfway down the hall and she, she, she heard the little girl screaming, crying. So she went back in there and she looked at her son and, and uh, she said, what, what happened? He just looked at her and he said, well, now she knows it hurts. <laughs> if when we are hurt by others, we do what comes naturally, then we will want to seek revenge. If, if we do what comes naturally, then we will want those who hurt us to know just what it feels like to be hurt. A man by the name of Hugh Prather P-R-A-T-H-E-R, once said this. He said, both my body and my emotions were given to me. And it is as futile for me to condemn myself for feeling scared, insecure, selfish, or revengeful as it is for me to get mad at myself for the size of my feet. He said, I'm not responsible for my feelings, but for what I do with them. When we feel angry or fretful or fearful or anxious or revengeful, we have one of two choices. We can either follow the dictates of the flesh and lash out at those who have hurt us. Or we can act in the power of the Holy Spirit and overcome those desires and respond in a way that is in accordance with the Word of God. For the sake of time, we'll not read all of Genesis chapter 40, but here's what had happened. The king's chief butler and baker were thrown into prison because he got mad at them. And as the Lord would have it, they were thrown into the same section of the prison that Joseph had been thrown into after being falsely accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. And one night, both the butler and the baker had a dream. The next day, Joseph saw them, and, and it was apparent to him that they were sad and so he naturally asked them what the problem was. And they told him that they each had had a dream, but they didn't know what it meant. And so Joseph, believing that God would, 
would give him the interpretation of their dreams, asked both the butler and the baker to share their dreams with him, and they did. And if you know the story, you know that God allowed Joseph to interpret those dreams. And through that interpretation, the baker learned that he was going to be executed in three days. On the other hand, the butler learned that after those same three days, that he was going to be set free. And here's what Joseph asked the butler to do. Look at it in verse 14, Genesis chapter 40 and verse 14. He said, but think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also, I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Now drop down to verse 20. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, and here it is, verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. After everything that Joseph had done for him, the butler forgot him. And you have to know tonight that that had to hurt. And so with the Lord's help, I want to, I want to preach to you on this subject, when life hurts. I doubt that there are, are any among us tonight who have not been hurt by someone at some point in one form or another. That hurt may have come by the way of a family member. That hurt may have come uh, by way of a, a trusted friend. Sadly, that hurt may have been at the hands of a fellow Christian. Or that hurt may have been the result of some foe that acted against you. But regardless of where it came from, you know full well tonight that the pain of such treatment goes deep. But even at that, we do not have to respond with bitterness or belligerence or blame. I want to show you that tonight from the life of Joseph. In spite of his hurt, if you're taking notes, write this down. Joseph showed no bitterness. In spite of, of, uh, of, of being 
let down as he was, Joseph displayed no bitterness from the time he was 17 years old. And you can go back and correct me tonight after you get home and you've had time to read over the story of Joseph's life. I'll be happy to be corrected if, if I'm wrong tonight. But from what I've read in, in my study of the, of the life of Joseph, from the time he was 17 until he reached the age of his death, which was 110, there is not one hint or suggestion that Joseph ever became bitter about what happened in his life. And you think about all of the things that, that came into Joseph's life unjustly, never deserving. And not one time is there even a hint of bitterness in the words or the actions of Joseph. Now, most of you are familiar with Paul's words in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, where he said, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How many of you would agree with me tonight that bitterness is an ugly thing? Raise your hand. Preacher, I agree. It is. Bitterness is an ugly thing. The phrase springing up in Hebrews 12, 15 means to germinate or to grow. Something happens. We're mistreated. We're, we're hurt. Or at least we feel like we've been mistreated. We're, 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 we're damaged in our emotions. And church, listen, if we're not careful, before we know it, bitterness has started to grow in our heart. One day, two monks were walking through the countryside when they came upon an old woman who was sitting at the edge of the water. And she was upset and she was crying at the fact that there was no bridge and she, she couldn't, couldn't get across the river on her own. So the two men looked at each other and then they joined hands and they lifted the lady between them and they carried her across the river. When they got to the other side, they, they let her down and, and she went on her way. After they had walked a, a mile or so, one of the monks started complaining. He said, look at my clothes. They're filthy from carrying that woman across the river. And my back, it still hurts from lifting her. I can feel it starting to get stiff. Well, they just kept walking a few miles past. And once again, that same monk started griping. My back is killing me. And it's all because we carried that lady across the river. Oh, I can't go any farther because of this pain. The first monk looked down at his partner who was now lying on his back on the ground moaning. He said, you know why I'm not complaining? He said, your back hurts because you're still carrying that woman. I let her down five miles ago. Bitterness occurs when we refuse to let something go. You with me? 
Bitterness happens when we continue to carry something with us mile after mile, day after day, week after week, month after month, in some cases year after year, and we refuse to let it go. Instead, we dwell on it and we rehearse it and we remember it until we are completely overtaken by a bitter spirit. If we allow bitterness to spring up and germinate in our life, listen, its roots are going to spread throughout our heart, throughout our mind, throughout our soul, and it will adversely affect our lives, listen, in ways that we never thought possible. Going back to Paul's words from Hebrews chapter 12, he said, Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. That phrase trouble you means to crowd in. In other words, Paul is saying this, if bitterness is allowed to go unchecked, then it will eventually crowd in and overtake our heart. And as bitterness crowds in, then it will crowd out things like happiness and joy and peace and love. In other words, our heart will become defiled. And that's what Paul says, springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, which tells us this tonight, that our bitterness will not only affect us, it will affect those around us. It will affect those we live with. It will affect those we work with. It will will affect those we recreate with. It will affect those we worship with. Bitterness doesn't only hurt us. It hurts those around us. But Joseph refused To let the mistreatment he received make him bitter. So there was no bitterness. But secondly tonight I would say this. There was no belligerence. Just as you can read the narrative of of Joseph's life. And as far as I can tell. Not find even a hint of bitterness. By the same token, you can read the story of Joseph's life. And if, and, and if I read it correctly and I was paying attention, you'll not find anywhere where Joseph suggests or even makes a motion toward revenge or retaliation. I read of Julius Caesar who at an early point in his political career thought it best to leave Rome because of the great opposition that existed toward him. And so he sailed for the Aegean island of Rhodes. But en route, as the story goes, his ship was attacked by pirates and Caesar was captured. The pirates demanded a ransom of of 12,000 gold pieces. And Caesar's staff was sent away to arrange the payment. Caesar spent almost 40 days with his captors. 
jokingly telling the pirates on, on several occasions that he would someday capture them and crucify them to a man. Of course, they just laughed and heckled him and, and were greatly amused at that thought. But when the ransom was paid and Caesar was freed, the first thing he did was gather a fleet and pursue the pirates. And they were captured and they were crucified to a man. When I read that story, I thought to myself, how there's a lot of Caesar in all of us, right? There's a, there's a lot of Caesar in all of us. As I said at the outset of the message, the common tendency when, when we are hurt is to seek revenge. I don't care who we are. The natural tendency is to seek revenge. That's because we're sinful people. We are fallen creatures. Our tendency is not toward good. Our tendency is toward evil. Our tendency is not toward godliness. It's toward ungodliness. It's not toward the spiritual. It's toward the carnal. And if we're not careful, listen church, if we're not careful, then the need to get even will become the passion and the pursuit of our life. But here's what we need to understand about the desire for revenge. It hurts us more than it hurts anyone else. A police sergeant from another agency in the East, I preached in a church there last summer and made a connection with him and it's in a larger city, large, larger community, a larger department. And he reached out to me yesterday and said, Brother Bert, I just, said, I just, I just got to have somebody to talk to. And he said, I am just raging. And uh, there are a number of things that were, and he's a godly man. He's been saved for years, faithful in the church there. Uh, has preached in the services there, uh, teaches a Bible study class. So he's not a nominal Christian. I mean, this guy is this guy's rock solid. Now, there are just a number of things that, that have been going on. Of course, you see the news like, like we all see the news. And, and it seems like their city council is, is turning on them and so now they're creating this, this citizens review board. And so not only do, do these guys have to, to clear an, I, uh, an IA investigation to the department, and now then after that, they're going to have to go through this goofy citizen thing. And, and I don't get me started on all that stuff. But. And so he, he's just furious, just raging. He said, I, I've got to talk to somebody. And... And I told him, I said, well, listen, being angry and bitter, I said, that's, that's not, that's not going to help you at all. Wanting to get even, that's not going to help you at all. And I gave him this comparison. You've heard it before. I said, listen, what you're feeling right now, I said, it's like you drinking poison 
and hoping they die. That's what it's like. When you and I get angry on the inside and bitter and, and we, we begin to have this, this uncontrollable um, desire for revenge and retaliation and getting even and making them hurt the way they've made us hurt. Listen, church, it's going to hurt us more than it's going to hurt anyone else. Revenge is, is like a cancer that, that slowly eats away at us until it destroys us. I mean, it has been medically proven that, that bitterness can injure us physically. Things like headaches and ulcers and high blood pressure and a number of other heart-related problems can result from an unhealthy, not to mention unbiblical, desire for revenge. But not only does it hurt us physically, it hurts us emotionally. As I mentioned a moment ago, as bitterness crowds in and a desire for revenge begins to crowd in, then it is going to crowd out things like the fruits of the Spirit, things like joy and happiness and peace. None of those things will be present in the heart that is set on revenge. And certainly it will injure us socially. Nobody wants to be around somebody who is driven by a pursuit of revenge. You ever worked with somebody like that? You ever had somebody like that in your family? Maybe just known them uh, through some kind of other acquaintance and, and, and they're just bitter. You know what I'm talking about? They're just bitter people. Nothing is ever right. Everything is always wrong. And listen, you know, they're like that cartoon character who walks around. They got the cloud over their head all the time. That's what bitterness will do. And nobody wants to socialize or be friends with somebody who is always bitter and always angry and always critical. And then obviously it's going to hurt us spiritually. Let me share some scripture with you real quick. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that none, none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good. Both among yourselves and all men. 1 Peter 3.8.9. Finally, be all of one mind. Having compassion one of another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And then he said this, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Romans 12, verses 19, 20, and 21. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt reap, uh, heap coals of fire on his head. And then Paul said this, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. There's nobody likes to be hurt. 
And I'm not condoning the actions of those who hurt others. But seeking revenge as the result is an act. And here's why I read those verses to you. Because the point is, a desire for revenge can hurt us spiritually. Seeking revenge as the result of being hurt is an act of direct disobedience to the word of God. I just read to you four passages of scripture that very clearly said, don't do that. Do not seek revenge. Do not repay evil with evil. Do not repay railing with railing. Remember what God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And for you and I to just ignore God's clear teaching in the scriptures and seek to somehow get revenge, make sure somebody who hurt us, make sure they understand how bad it hurt by making them hurt. Listen, that is in direct contradiction to the word of God and it will hurt us spiritually. I read this, I thought it was good. Animosity, cloaked in piety, is a demon, even if it sits in church praising the Creator. Let me read it again. Animosity, cloaked in piety, is a demon, even if it sits in church, praising the creator. In other words, it doesn't make any difference how pious and spiritual we may appear. The truth is, if we're harboring the desire to get even, then we're giving in to the devil. Church, listen, God cannot and will not bless us. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Joseph displayed no bitterness. Joseph displayed no belligerence, no desire to get even. And then thirdly, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with this. Joseph did not show any blame. No blame. So many times when, when bad things happen in life, our tendency is to blame God. Many times God is, is put on trial and, and he's blamed for letting things happen and blasted for not stopping them. Now think with me, if you know, if you're familiar with the life of Joseph, then you, you remember how, how the story of his life began. It began with two dreams that God gave Joseph. And Joseph then shared those dreams with his father and with his brothers. And it angered them. Because in those dreams, with, the, with the, the stalks of wheat bowing down and, 
and the stars bowing. In essence, what those dreams were saying was that one day Joseph was going to be in a place of leadership and his father and his brothers would bow down to him. Now that did not sit well with his older brothers. And you know the rest of the story. They threw him in a pit. They left him to die. And then they got him out. They sold him to the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites took him into Egypt. And he got to be with Potiphar. And, 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 and you know the rest of the story. But here's the point. Listen, Joseph could have easily gone back and said, God, this is your fault. All I did was tell my family what you told me in my dreams. And if you had not given me those dreams, then I would not have said anything to my family. They wouldn't have gotten angry with me. They would not have sold me into slavery. And Potiphar would not have put me into prison. And on and on and on and on and on, Joseph could have gone with blaming God. You tracking with me? God, this is your fault. This all started with you. Why didn't you just leave me alone? I was fine. My father loved me. I had a great life. I was doing just fine. And then you come along, you give me these dreams, and and God, this is all your fault. But again... If I understand Joseph's story right, and if I've read it correctly, he never bowed to bitterness. He never bowed to belligerence. And he never bowed to blame. Instead, he just chose to rest in God's promises. You see, Joseph knew that the dreams God had given him were actually promises of what he would eventually do with him and for him in the future. And Joseph knew in his heart of hearts that God kept his word. It is said of Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, That as he saw his mission work destroyed and his converts killed and scattered and he himself thrown into a filthy dungeon. That someone came to him one day and they were taunting him and they asked him this question. What does your future look like now, Judson? To which he replied, my future is as bright as the promises of God. When we are hurt, instead of blaming God, let us rest in his promises and let us rejoice in his providence. You see, Joseph knew that God was in charge and that he had a destiny for his life. Granted, things were not necessarily going the way that Joseph would have liked for them to go. But nonetheless, Joseph knew. Listen to me. Joseph knew that God didn't make any mistakes. And that all things were working for his good. 
Let me share one more story with you and I'll be done. It's the story of Louis Twelfth of, of France and how he treated his enemies after he ascended to the throne. Before coming to power, he had been cast into prison and, and kept in chains. Later, when he became king, he was urged by many people to seek revenge, but he refused. Instead, he prepared a scroll on which he listed all who had perpetrated crimes against him. And behind every man's name, he placed a cross in red ink. When the guilty heard about that, they feared for their lives and they fled. But then the king explained, the cross which I drew beside each name was not a sign of punishment, but a pledge of forgiveness extended for the sake of the crucified Savior, who upon his cross forgave his enemies and prayed for them. God help us tonight not to bow to bitterness or belligerence or to blame. But may we rather bow at the foot of the blood-stained cross of Calvary and ask God for the grace to forgive even as he forgave us. And I ask Sandy to go to the piano. Church, listen. As long as we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world, then we're going to have to deal with the pain of hurt. I'm sorry. It, we are. Because we are surrounded by imperfect people. And not only are we going to be hurt, but there are going to be times when we are the one who hurts. But how we deal with being hurt is up to us. That being said, let me ask you tonight. Who do you need to forgive? Which of these three, bitterness, belligerence, the desire to get even, or blame, which of those three do you personally need to repent of tonight? Let's stand with our heads bowed.